How can we, as creative educators and entrepreneurs, find our authentic voice, get real in a world where real is hard to come by, and share our vision all while making some serious money and keeping it all balanced? Hey, hey, it's Alyssa with the Teacher Hustle Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for taking a chance on me. I'm a fifth grade teacher, toddler mom, and serial entrepreneur. I'm answering all your burning questions and bringing you simple business tips, mindset shifts, and inspiration to help you turn your passion into an income that makes an impact without being overly complicated. You know that one thing you can't stop talking about? We are going to share it with the world. So grab a cup of coffee and let's bring your wildest ideas to life. Hey everybody, I'm just sneaking in here before the actual podcast episode to tell you about a special toolkit that I decided at the very last minute to create for all of you. It was an idea I had the other day randomly, and I really have been working my tail off to get this together for you. It is a Black Friday teacher seller toolkit. It is ready for you now. It has everything you need to run a really exciting promotion the week of Black Friday. It's the same method I used last year during Black Friday week to make just under $2,000 that I turned around and used for holiday shopping, to be honest. I probably could have put it back in my business, but I went shopping. And I really, really want you to try this out because I think it's going to help you see the potential in your business and it's going to help you get a boost, that boost that you need in sales right now during the holiday season. So at the end of this podcast episode, I go into um, detail about what's inside the toolkit, but I wanted to make sure just in case you didn't stick around all the way till the end, I know you will, but just in case, I wanted to tell you about it now. Uh, you can go over to alyssamcdonald.com slash Black Friday to see all the details about what's included in the toolkit and how you can grab that, or you can stay tuned till the end of the episode and I'll tell you exactly what's inside. All right, enjoy the episode. All right, I am here with Meg. I In my head, I call you Meg Keiko. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Meg is going to tell us all about the hiring process, when we're ready to hire, and also for those of you who might be thinking about adding a layer of service to your business, I think she can give some great information on that too. So this is going to be a really great episode. I know it's something that everyone is always asking me about. So Meg, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in the online space? Yes. So I'm going to rewind a few years back. I started my career as a teacher, actually. Um, I taught high school French, um, and then I did a stint in a charter school teaching third grade, but in a French immersion setting. So I did third grade in French, um, and I loved it, and I hated it. And then I found myself in the online space. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, originally. Um, my husband's job brought us to Chicago. I did not want to get certified here in the state of Illinois. So my friend was like, you should be a VA. I didn't know what that was. I Googled it. And like before I even knew what it was, I'm like, that sounds great. I'll do that. So I was in a lucky position where um, I had the space where I could quit my job for a little bit. So I really worked hard to make it work in this online space. So about three years ago, I started as a VA. Um, and then from there, I, I transitioned into an account and project manager. Um, actually, at my 
for my friend's business. She does, she's a web and brand designer. Um, and for that reason, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you hire just your friends because I did not last very long in that account and project manager position, (laughs) but I was able to help her kind of set up some systems. And then, um, I went on maternity leave, um, and I was going to hire a temporary replacement, but I realized my zone of, uh, genius is not in ongoing account and project management, but I'm really good at hiring people. So I hired my replacement. My friend was a little upset at first, but uh, the account and project manager we hired, Janet, is still there. So um, that's kind of how I have transitioned. Um, and now what I do is I used to be MedK the VA. I have since transitioned to MedK and Co., Right now, the Anco is just me and my clients, but I am hiring right now. Um, but yeah, so I do done for you hiring services for um, online business owners. And I have a really weird gift and knack for matchmaking in this space um, and kind of helping people onboard new team and figure out who they need. So that is my story. <laughs> I love how your experiences sort of led you there and the the whole story of it, because I think sometimes we can feel like, oh, my, you know, nothing is really panning out. My experiences seem so random. And then suddenly they bring you to this moment where you're like, okay, this is my zone of genius. This is what I can do. And it sounds like that's what happened to you. Totally. And there were small things that I'm like, oh, I'm really good at this particular thing. But I'm like, what? I, I didn't. It it didn't make sense, like, but now the pieces are all coming together. And in my teaching life, I loved being on leader, like I, you know, was on a lot of like leadership committees. um, And I sat in on a lot of the hiring process. So it's just kind of funny that it's come full circle. And here I am. What a cool business model. So I'll start by talking about those of us who are ready to hire, because I know a lot of my listeners, they know they want to hire. They they are solopreneurs and it can get really overwhelming. Many of them are teaching at the same time they're running their businesses. So they know it would be a relief to hire someone, but they're not sure where to start. So what are some of the best positions to hire for when you are just first starting to build out your team? First, I'd have to say to those people, like, hats off to you to teach and do this on the side. Um, I couldn't even imagine doing that. That's amazing. And um, I would definitely start. I feel like sometimes people think they're higher. They want to do something. Oh, that would be nice if I was on social media more consistently. Or I remember when I started as a VA, that's what people hired me for all the time. But you're going to maybe have a hard time seeing your return on investment there. Um, I really think what's excellent, especially if you are teaching and you, you really have a limited amount of time or even for people like us who have small children, um, and our time is limited. What's really important is to hire someone to get the things that are off of your plate that you don't need to be doing anymore. Um, so to really answer your question, what I would recommend a lot for that first hire is an assistant of some sort. And whatever you name it, it basically needs to come from what their responsibilities and what their tasks are going to be. So if you're like big into like content creation, um, you can have a marketing assistant and that's the person who is not writing your copy. I see a lot of people are like, write my copy for me. Oh, I hate it. It's because you need more bandwidth to write your own copy. Um, But having people support with the back end of marketing and scheduling or even like repurposing content. That's when I see a lot. Um, 
And then the assistant who can help you with some executive things like calendaring or um, customer support. It depends on your model, but and if you're a service provider, it can be helpful to have someone help you with your deliverables. Like, so for me, um, I hire for people. I am currently hiring a hiring assistant um, just because this person is really going to help me a lot with like the back end of this process. Mm -hmm. So I just made up a name, but it's essentially an assistant who is doing some of the backend tasks of processes that I'm really clear on because I've done it over and over again. Um, and I can easily make SOPs, standard operating procedures. Um, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going down a tangent no, here. But... Actually, do you mind? Because that's where I was going to go next. Could you explain to us what standard operating procedures are and how they can help us with that hire? Yes. So, and and this was a point I, I wanted to talk about too, is that it... I, I see a lot that sometimes people hire and then they're like, oh, delegating so hard because they're like, the person can't read my mind. But sometimes people haven't even decided what their own process is. So like, not only can people not read your mind, you haven't even made up your mind of how to do it. So like, for example, with my hiring process, I have like really specific process of how I do things. And now when I hire someone, it's really clear. These are the exact tasks that I need you to make. Like if we want to improve my processes every so often, that's fine. Um, but people, especially assistants, they want to know what their expectations are. And I know I'm speaking to teachers. Um, I don't know if this is still cool anymore, but back in my day in like the 2010s or whenever I was teaching, it was all very like Harry Wong and the first day of school and like scripting it out and like being really clear about what you want and what like, I just think of like classroom management yeah. uh, and like, here's how you ask to go to the bathroom and like whatever. Uh-huh. But we, we need to make up our minds um, and be, before we can be really clear about that. So I feel like what's important is to be confident in what your process is and what exactly um, you need them to be doing. And then the standard operating procedure, it's just recording it. So some people like to write theirs from start to finish. Like if I'm a service provider, let's say I make websites, one of my friends writes excellent SOPs, huge long documents from start to finish of like, this is how you do everything. Me, I make Loom videos <laughs> and then I link them into Asana and I'm like, here's how you do this one particular thing. Um, but I think I will like document my whole process. Um, but so SOPs don't have to look a certain way, but it's your way of communicating um, what the end result is of that task in the steps. I think one of the smarter things that I did when I started my business was to create SOPs. I'm not sure where I came across the idea or somebody mentioned it. And I thought, well, I wasn't ready to hire, but I thought I'll just do that for my own sanity because sometimes there's just so much floating around in your own head of that you're trying to keep organized. I opened a Google Drive folder and I just started a new Google Doc for each process, you yeah. know, writing a blog post or this type of email or this um, setting up my podcast and wrote out all the steps and it actually helped me see places where I could be more efficient, places where I was spending a lot of time doing something that I could have automated. And then when I did have my first hire, I just handed those to her yep. and yep. that was it. Yeah. yeah. It's so important to have that documented. Also, like sometimes I forget what my process is. I'm like, mm-hmm. shoot, how did I do this one thing? Yep. And and that's really laying the foundation for getting the team on. Totally. And it 
when you realize what parts of your business could be easily handed off, I feel like that helps you decide what position to hire for because you realize I really can't hand off the writing of my emails or the writing of my blog posts. Like you said, the copy, but I can hand off the scheduling of it. And that takes time. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like too, those are skill sets that are very different from at least mine. Like the copy can flow to me, but I'm not the most detail oriented person. Um, (laughs) I feel like everyone looks for detail oriented people and I'm like, I am not the most detail-oriented person, but I want to hire someone who is super detail-oriented. Maybe they don't want to write copy. I don't care. I'll write the copy, but I need the space in which to do that. So, so often I see people trying to hand off the work that they need to be doing. And it's like, no, no, like, you know, give people the other work so that you, the copy needs to come from you. You know, I feel like over and over again, that's what I see. But if you had more time, then you could spend the time on the copy and not be sitting there scheduling your pins to Pinterest. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you can pay someone to schedule the pins to Pinterest. And what I think is important is that people do some of their own back end processes first um, so that they can really explicitly teach how it needs to be done, especially if we're going for an assistant or a VA. Um, these people are true implementers. They, need, they want to be handed, I don't mean to speak for all VAs, but the way I understand it is let, like, I just let me know what I need to do. I want to do the doing, but so often I see people to their VAs, like, I want this done, but I'm not going to tell you what exactly, like, I want everything on Pinterest with no other details. You need, those details need to come from you and you need to teach the people how to do the things, you know? So I think it's so important that you understand your own processes and you make those decisions before you try to hire them out. And then that repeatable stuff, like if you can find themes like marketing and executive assistant or whatever, just throw some words in front of assistant and that's a great first hire. I love it. And I feel like um, a mistake that a lot of people make is just, is that not stepping into that business leader role and feeling like, well, I'll just, I'll just hire somebody to take over my Pinterest and they'll just take it over and they'll know how to do all of it. But you are the business owner. And I think because we, for some of us, we call it our side hustle and not necessarily our business. We have trouble sort of stepping into that role of like, okay, wait a second. I'm the visionary for my business. Yes. This, um, I need to be in charge of the decisions. And then I just need to hand it to somebody who can implement that in the yes. back Yes. Yeah. So I have a whole blog post on like different people you can hire, but I really believe a lot of the strategy needs to come from you. And I feel like sometimes people are like so overwhelmed. They're like, whatever, let me pay $700 a month for this one guy to do my Instagram or, you know, do my Pinterest. It's like, no, like you are the visionary. Like your brilliance really is in the marketing, but you're drowning in work and like, pay someone $25, $30 an hour, whatever, to do the implementing. And the strategy needs to come from you until it doesn't, until you make a lot of money and you can hire a strategist for more money. Right. And even then when you do that, you're still going to probably hire somebody to implement the strategy you put Mm -hmm. together with the strategist. (laughs) Exactly. Unless you want to hire out an agency. And again, I have a blog post like going over all these different things. And like people hire me to do their hiring when they're like strapped, like, My apps manager can't handle it. It's like, cool, pay me a little more money. I will just do it for you. But then you guys have my processes and you can do it yourself later when you have the bandwidth, right? But um, I think it is so important to 
at least in the beginning, before you just start hiring people like agencies to do it or strategists, especially in the beginning, let the strategy come from you, but you need the bandwidth. So like get some of that excess stuff off of your plate and not to go down like a totally another like wormhole here, but I think sometimes codependency can come into play where like for me, um, it's hard for me to let go of some of that control in my business. I want to feel really important. And it's almost like I feel less important if I'm not the one doing everything or even like with my kid, she's with the babysitter in my house right now. And it's hard for me to let go of some of those responsibilities. Like I used to be the only one who could get her down for a nap and now I'm not. And I'm like, I may not important anymore, but it's like, Megan, relax. Like <laughs> you can let other people do some of that other stuff. I don't have to be the one doing everything, but I think for me, sometimes I want to feel important (laughs) and it's hard for me to let some of that go. And I see that come up a lot for people too. Yeah. And I, for me, it's more of like, because I'm so quick, it's so quick for me to do things. And sometimes I'm like, oh, rather than tell somebody how to do it, I'm just going to do it. But then all of a sudden I'm doing everything. And then I'm, like you said, I'm drowning and I'm thinking, okay, I could have given that, I could have delegated that to someone. So in my head, I think it's going to be harder to delegate it. But if I just really spend time with my strategy and my SOPs, then it's simple to hand it off and it's going to be easier in the long run once they figure it out. Right. And what keeps coming up for me is when I taught third grade, having to script out like my first couple days of school. And I remember it being such a pain, but I'm like, Megan, if you front load this work now and teach the children the expectations and like how things are done. Yeah. It's a pain in the ass now, but then I didn't have to tell kids every single time, not only uh, three, two kids, only you can only get a drink of water twice a day. You know, like it was, I hated scripting out my first two days. Plus I had to do it in French, which is not my first language. I was so annoyed, but anyway, I was known for my good management because I front loaded all of that. And like when it comes to delegating, yeah, you have to teach people how to do it, but front load it when you're onboarding, teach them in the beginning, you know, be very first day of school, Harry Wong, like give them your SOPs, teach the children, and then the children will be able to do it and you won't have to remind them all the time how to do it. Exactly. That's, I can totally relate to that. Uh, (laughs) You mentioned earlier too, that one of the tools you use is Asana. I use Asana and we just also started using Airtable more to organize like graphics. And uh, especially for the podcast, we put all the podcast titles in all the graphics, all the links right there in Airtable so that it's organized. Are there any other tools you would recommend um, when you're working with your team? Yeah, I think Airtable, I've seen people use Airtable for the like content stuff. I think that's wonderful way to use it. Definitely Asana. And what I've learned too is some team like best practices of like every single task needs to go in Asana. And then another tool I like to use too is Slack for Mm -hmm. communication. And some people push back on this. They're like, can't I just communicate in Asana? But I like to really keep Asana for tasks. And then I like to use Slack to like remind people, hey, like I put this thing in Asana. We didn't talk about it on our weekly call, but it's in here. Or then like if people have a question about a task, like doing that communication in Slack to just kind of keep the tasks living in Asana and then keep the conversations in Slack. I love that. Um, Against your recommendations earlier in the show, my, um, my customer support specialist, who is my only team member right now is my best friend. So we started just texting. That was our conversation. And I said to her, okay, we need to get on a different conversational app because 
we are texting about like our kids and our, our husbands. And then I have to scroll back through for stuff about the business. So it's really important. I love that um, idea of having another place where the business chat lives. Mm -hmm. And I had to do that with my best friend too. And like, I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad idea to hire a best friend, but no, it might not work in the long term because I account and project management is not my zone of genius. It was maybe my zone of competence. I could kind of do it if my friend was like, remember, you need to respond to that email. I'm like, oops. But anyway, yeah, we had to do the same thing. We really had to keep personal stuff in, um, in, in, uh, text. Um, and then, uh, business stuff was in Slack or in Voxer. And then Voxer is a whole nother animal of like the walkie talkie. I advise my clients, you can use Voxer, but do not use it to assign things to people. Like that needs to be an Asana. But if you need to like brainstorm or if you need to give more details, like, Hey, in, in Asana, I'm going to put schedule this newsletter, but I'm going to give you more details in Voxer. Then you can box like, Hey, I want to hear some specifics. I want to AB test and blah, blah, blah. Or like, Hey, I'm trying to figure out this problem. Like that's that conversational stuff of like problem solving or giving more details is really great for, for Voxer. Um, but I like to keep the boundaries really clear that like, any tasks assignments need to go into Asana and not like yeah. for text or whatever. But even sometimes we'd be talking, I, I would talk to my best friend every day on a walk and she would have to be like, um, can I talk to you about business? We had to just be like very deliberate of like, okay, I need to talk to you about business for a second. But like yeah. we had to really keep our personal and our business lives really separate and like keep it to certain channels. So I've been there. That's exactly what we do. And, but the cool thing about having my best friend as um, in that role has been that she was able to really tell me in the beginning, she was like, look, I'm an, I am an implementer. So just give it to me clear what you want me to do and I will do it. But I was doing a little bit of that, like here, just do this and assuming she knew how to do it. And she was like, no, 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 you need, you know, she was very blunt with me. She was like, you need to give me like the procedure. Exactly. And so, so we've sort of been able to be kind of candid about that and tell, and we play off of each other well. So I'm definitely the visionary and she's definitely the implementer. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it is really nice having someone that you can be so open and honest with, especially that first time in the role. And I was able to challenge my best friend too, being like, yeah, like you need to be really clear or like, we need to document some things or you're telling me to email this person, but we need to have some SOPs about like when I'm giving, when I'm emailing certain deliverables to clients, like I need to know exactly what information I need because I cannot read your brain hole. Like, so I really challenged her to do those and now she's an SOP master, but. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, So don't you, your first hire doesn't have to totally be a stranger um, that you met online because you can also hire locally, right? Would you, would you ever recommend hiring someone locally versus online or is there a benefit to one over the other? I mean, online, you have a lot more talent to Mm -hmm. choose from, you could say, but local definitely has its advantages too. And like in my hiring process, I like to uh, recruit from a lot of different places to ensure that I get people of a lot of different backgrounds, not just like work backgrounds, but like racial and, you know, socioeconomic or whatever. So what I did was I, uh, I, I posted on ZipRecruiter too for Chicago, for my area. And I don't know, I might be interviewing someone 
from Chicago. I don't know, but I kind of like doing a mix and it totally depends too. And I think sometimes people think they need to have someone right there next to them in person, but I'm like, or it might be, you just need to be very clear about your delegation. I feel like sometimes people are afraid to delegate and they're like, just sit next to me. Um, but it, it totally depends on the business too. Uh, one of my clients definitely needs like in person, but it's just kind of based on what she needs for her business and her business model. Um, but I love, I love doing virtual or some people need to do, um, just, uh, to their state if they're going to get a part-time employee, like, so I'm registered in Illinois. Um, if I'm going to have a W2 employee, my LLC needs to be registered in their state. So some people like to keep it specific to a state for that reason, but you can also, there's a workaround. Sorry, I'm going down another wormhole here, but you can also contract someone for like 30 to 90 days. Like, let's say I want to hire someone in Nevada, then that gives me some time to like register my business in Nevada and then I can have an employee there. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm learning all sorts of weird (laughs) fun facts like that with HR stuff, but a contractor you can hire anywhere. Um, Right. Yeah, I, it is amazing to see when you open it up from one geographical place to like pretty much anywhere, um, you just get like more people and just like more diverse people too, which is cool. Yeah. And you never know what somebody, what their experience can bring to your business. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's why like I'm interviewing a few folks for my business. I'm very intentionally picking people from different backgrounds. Like Mm -hmm. I want I'm interviewing a couple folks that have a lot of online experience. And I also wanted to interview someone with like not a lot of online experience just to kind of see. Um, So I was very intentional about that. How do you figure out when you're interviewing them? What are some questions you ask or what, what are you doing in your matchmaking process to figure out if they're the right hire for you? Oh my God. Um, There's a few different criteria that I kind of measure on, but it, it's also like, culture is a really big deal. Like, uh, for some, some people, for example, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is like really big values to them. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that people are aligned, but also you can't just be like, are you a Republican? Great. We're not going to hire you. Like you can't do that. Like that's not nice or okay. Like that's not great. Um, but also some people in the DEI diversity, equity, inclusion field say that in order to be inclusive, you need to be exclusive. Um, so you kind of want to be like very forthcoming about like what your values are and that can kind of help some people select or self-select or like not apply. Um, sorry, I'm going back to the question here. That's actually, that's a really good point because uh, we've been talking a lot about how we're choosing. I was talking in my Insta stories and I'm kind of going through this in my own personal life. I'm trying to be very careful about where I spend my money. So where we buy our clothes and where we're buying furniture for our home, when we're spending a lot of money, I want to make sure that I'm really aligned with or that my values, my family's values are aligned with the businesses that I'm choosing to spend my money with. And that's always been a value for me because I'm a small business person and I love small business, but, but more so than ever right now, it's been really something that I'm trying to work on. And I never thought about that when it came to hiring because 
you're right. And you're, you know, you're spending your money. You want to make sure that you're aligned with the person that you're hiring, not only because they're supporting your business, but also because you just want to make sure that you're, you've found a good match. So important to identify your own values probably before you start the hiring process. And then I love your advice to come right out and tell them what your values are and let them figure out Mm -hmm. if they're a match for you. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, some ways you want to be equitable, right. When, and you don't want to like necessarily weed people out because they might not feel like confident about it. Like there's, there's some things you want to do to make sure that you're not being too exclusive, but like when it comes to that sort of stuff, it is really important to be upfront, but there's also some training involved and a lot of thinking involved in like defining those values. So Mm -hmm. I'm really thinking about ways that I can, connect people that I, you know, that want to work with me or that are like in my, in my realm, um, to connect them with people who can help them kind of better define their values. Um, yeah. And it's, it's good to be forthcoming about that. And I guess there, there are different areas where I like objectively, and this is my teaching brain coming into, like, I'm looking at Google sheets all the time and like, I do a lot of like green, yellow, red, not really, but I'll do like green and gray kind of based on what I see. Some of it is maybe intuitive for me too. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more explicit about like what my criteria are, but I spend a lot of time with my clients kind of understanding them, understanding their needs. And I'm usually pretty good at being like, yep, this person is aligned or like, no, this person isn't quite aligned, but people's criteria is really different. And there are some objective things like, do you know at least 50% of the softwares and whatever, right. but the, I'm really trying to challenge myself too, especially from a DEI lens to not necessarily write people off of like, they messed up on capitalization. Like that can be kind of uh, elitist sometimes, I guess, or a lot of people in the DEI space are like, you shouldn't necessarily... Um, write people off for that. So I'm really trying to challenge a lot of, a lot of my like preconceived notions of like, Oh, you're not professional. If you don't capitalize a letter, like my computer is sometimes doing too many periods. Like, but some people are like, Oh, they should have attention to detail. But I'm, I'm, I'm just challenging a lot of certain things that used to disqualify people. And yeah, I mean, my practice is growing and evolving, but anyway, to go back to the original question. A great, great conversation. And I want to know, actually, you've got me thinking about defining my own values and, and the criteria that I'm thinking through. And I'm thinking about DEI and, and how I hadn't really considered that before. So thank you mm-hmm. for that. And I'm, I want to dive more into that after um, we get off this podcast. I want to know. Yes. yes. And, and I can recommend too, one community that I joined, um, it's called Pause on the Play. And it's run by Erica Corday and India Jackson. Um, my my best friend Kelsey, who I've mentioned a few times on this pod already, I always talk about her, but she met this woman, Erica, at Alt Summit. Um, and Erica did some DEI consulting for her. And um, Erica and India have uh, a month, they have a podcast that they called Pause on the Play. And they also have um, like a community uh, that's like just a monthly fee or whatever. Um, so I just joined that and we've been talking some about values. I, my bandwidth has been so limited that I'd like to give more attention to that, but, um, yeah, just That's a great resource. I'll yeah. link it in the show notes. So that okay, perfect. Great. And then another resource I'd like to drop to you is my friend, um, Michelle Sanchez. Um, she, 
was, she is like a brand and web designer, but she is really good at helping people define their values. So like, uh, and she's a friend of mine. Um, I was, I'm in a mastermind with her and I helped her hire her junior designer. But anyway, I did a workshop with Michelle and before I was like, my values are safety. My values are, Mm -hmm. what was my other value space? And she's like, but that doesn't mean anything. So I workshopped it a bit and I'm like, oh, okay. And I was like, another value of mine is social justice. She's like, we talked about it. She's like, that's not really it. So what my values are, they're more like a statement, like make room for space. Like I want people to have space and bandwidth, but we need to do hard things in order to do that. Like delegate and get our processes clear. So like make room for space. And then with like the safety and like honesty. And then my, my second value is it's safe to be honest. So, um, I really like, I'm all about like the conscious conversation, but I also know people are not necessarily going to be like honest and forthcoming with their feelings if they don't feel safe to do so. And I also know, like, I can't necessarily ensure safety for everyone, but like, I'm going to do my best, uh, you know, and I'm open to being called out, called in, whatever, when I'm being problematic. Um, by the way, I'm very white. Um, but, you know, I, I really want to, especially when it comes to my realm of recruiting, um, it's important to be able to have honest and open conversations about that. So that that's just, a, and like when I'm hiring, I'm like very open or try to be very open about all of that so that people know what they're signing up for when they're getting involved with me, you know? I love that. So do, did you have another value statement or those? Those are pretty much my two because that safety was tied in there. That space was tied in there. And then like my social justice value was really tied in there too. So right. those are my two for right now. Wow, I'm excited to actually think on that. It's interesting that you mentioned this. I hadn't really um, told my audience this, but I will tell them now. So I I interviewed, I decided to do some um, contracting work, just a couple of extra hours with somebody that needed help with their membership, because that, talk about finding your zone of genius. I've really, really loved putting together a membership and being in um, kind of a community leader. And I found that a lot of what I did in the classroom with social emotional learning and community, it kind of comes into play in the online space of the membership. So long story short, I interviewed for a position where I would be managing a membership for a few hours a month. And it was with kind of like a higher level, um, you know, business owner, I would consider higher than myself. And as we were on the interview, she asked me what my values were. And I was like, um, I don't know. I couldn't even identify them. And and that's exactly what I did. I told her like words, like integrity and being genuine. And then I was like, that's not it. And ever since our interview, that was just a couple nights ago, I have been just thinking on it and thinking on it. And I, I wasn't getting anywhere. So I am definitely going to dive into those resources. And I love how you said more of a statement. Yeah. And I didn't know that either. So like where I started was Brene Brown's exercise from her book, Dare to Lead. Uh I like legit have a, like a picture of me pretending to read Dare to Lead when I did a branded photo shoot. Haven't even read the whole book. Um, I have ADD, ADHD, whatever. I was diagnosed in like 2008. So who even knows what I have? So like audiobooks are better for me. And I bought all these books and haven't read them, but my husband read it. Um, But anyway, you can find, so that's my weird way of saying sitting down and reading, especially with a small child is hard for me. But anyway, it's still really easy to find this list of words by Brene Brown. Uh And I, I chose my words of safety and space 
um, went working through it in a mastermind of mine in an in-person retreat back when we did those things. So I started with the words, but then it really did take me some help <laughs> to come up like with those phrases, mm-hmm. but it's hard because some of those words like, Oh, but like, or vulnerability, I love that, but that kind of goes with the safety that kind of goes with the honesty. So it's kind of just going round and round until you figure out like where the, where the pieces fit, you know, and exactly. not to like totally derail your podcast going here, but it is really important stuff to know when you're yeah. hiring. Totally. And I, I like that you have fewer values that encompass more. Mm-hmm. Well, it's themes that I keep seeing come up over and over again mm-hmm. for me. Um, and some people have other ones that just keep coming up over and over again for them. So these are just, yeah, these are just patterns that I've seen. Um, it kind of reminds me of when I did my master's thesis of like having to read a bunch of papers and then like finding out what are the themes and like right. coding. Okay. I haven't done my, my, my thesis was like seven years ago, but still I feel like I'm, I'm a grad student again, just like looking for themes and looking for patterns in well, my life. Yeah. And it's so important. I think it's just, again, step into the role of business owner, which I think a lot of my listeners are working on is just identifying that like as a business owner, you have some power there to make a difference to, you know, having more money is like really awesome because it gives us financial freedom, but it also gives us a way to make change in the world and Mm -hmm. to have um, some agency. And I think that it's important to take that seriously and to think through some of these things. And and even if you're like, okay, wait a second, Alyssa and Meg, like this is just something I do on the side, you know, I'm just selling resources. Right. Well, and also being an educator, that's, yeah. you have a lot of little people looking up to you. Mm -hmm. And like, I haven't always been the most woke when I was a teacher, not even saying I'm particularly woke now, but not, not only is there a responsibility as a business owner, but especially if you're still in the classroom. Yeah. And as a parent too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Educator and business owner, it's all a responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you have an audience no matter what. So exactly. Even if you just have one follower, you are an influencer and then, you know, reflecting to be careful about how you influence, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to bring up too, when it comes to this is especially like, if you have um, clients or if, or like, if you have a membership that serves like non, like not just people who look like you, but like people of color or people of different backgrounds um, in order for those people to be safe, it's, I don't mean to other them be like those people, but excuse me, in order for everyone to be safe, like having people on board with your DEI values is really important and like really important for like the safety. And so I've asked questions like, are you comfortable handle, like, are you comfortable serving a diverse community? Um, Another question we've asked is we invest in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training. Are you 100% comfortable with that? So we've asked questions like that. Um, I can't be like, Hey, it's a conflict of interest. If you voted for Donald Trump, like that's, you can't do that. But, and it's, and it's not, it's not so much about like, I want people who agree with me, but it's really about like the safety of, of people who are in like marginalized groups, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. And I love that you invested in DEI training. Are the two resources that you shared with us, does, do they kind of have that option for your team as well? 
That I don't know, but they might be open to it. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, but I've, uh, I still have a lot more learning to do with the pause on the play community. Um, I'm hiring someone like this week so then I can finally dive in yeah. to really even get clearer on my values and, um, have a safe community where I can question my practices as a human and my recruiting practices. Um, yeah. And then yeah. I, I really appreciate my friend, Michelle Sanchez. Um, I'm just, she, she just did a training in my mastermind group. Um, but I wonder, you know, she could offer more trainings like that, um, around defining those values. It was just really cool for me to have those statements that people could either be like, "Uh uh-huh. Or like, "Uh uh-uh, right. (laughs) That's nonsense. And if they think it's nonsense, that's fine. I'm just not for them. You know, you're not a good match. Yeah. Uh, What important work. I'm so glad that our conversation went that direction because I think it's so important to talk about, especially when we're thinking about, hiring and, and also educating and being a parent. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like, granted, I am inherently like super problematic and like, I am not an expert on any of this, but, um, I do feel like it's really important to talk about, especially, you know, when we're, when we're building teams and, and when we're serving diverse people. Right. And I appreciate you kind of sharing with us and sharing with us that you are still learning as well, because I know I am for sure. Uh-huh. Oh, don't worry. I still get called out, called in sometimes for being problematic, but what matters is that we take action. And then when we inevitably mess up, uh, we correct it and then we keep going, you know? Yeah. Perfect. I love that. Um, okay. And to go back to your original question, here are two <laughs> questions. I don't, <laughs> I don't know either, but two questions that I love to ask on an interview right. apart from like the values alignment is um, one question is, if I were to ask you to do something that you don't know how to do, how would you handle that? Hmm. I'll tell you why this is important. Um, so some people um, really don't like being, don't like having people ask a thousand questions. Um, okay. I'm going down. And, do I have time to go down another yes. one for a second? Okay, cool. So there's one assessment. I have to give some backstory to this question. There's an assessment called the Colby A, K-O-L-B-E. Um, have you heard of it, Alyssa? I've taken it. Yes. Oh, cool. What's your Colby? So remind me, cause I've taken so many. What's the, what are it's the-, the four numbers? So it's like, oh, what's your yes. quick start? What's your systems? What's your, uh, or wait, what's your, hold on fact finder, follow through systems. And, uh, I forgot what the last one is called. Yes. I don't remember what my numbers were, but I remember that I was glaringly more of one category, but I don't think it was one that you mentioned. Okay. So we didn't say, yeah. Oh, you got to tell me later what it is. So, um, for, so what I see a lot of us visionaries were higher in the measurement called quick start. That's what it was. Quick start. Yep. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a five, six, eight, two. So five, I'm like middle of the road fact finder. I'm not going to ask a thousand questions, but I can talk to both low and high fact finders. My, the second number follow through, I think of it as like systems. I'm in the middle. I'm a six. So high numbers, people like to create systems, low numbers, they're systems breakers, which I see in a lot of my visionary clients, which isn't good or bad, but these are people who are not going to follow your protocols. Um, I'm a six, so I can maintain them. And then the quick start, so many people I work with are high quick starts. Um, so I'm an eight out of 10. Um, Therefore, the way that I, so like whatever your highest number is, that's the first way that you take action. So like 
for you and me, Alyssa, where like, if we're leading with quick start, we're not going to research first. Like you made a podcast. I did, uh, I did a webinar a couple months ago. I didn't research shit. I just did it. And then like, and then figured it out, you know, what errors I made and like, not errors, but then like tweaked it after. So people like us, we get really bogged down when people ask us a thousand questions. So people like us want to hear when we ask this question of like, what, what do you do? We want to hear like, you're not going to come and ask me a thousand questions. First, you're going to look at the SOPs. You're going to ask some friends, whatever. But then I have some clients who have like an integrator who's a high fact finder who loves asking and answering questions. They want to hear like, I'll ask, I'll ask, or I'll be upfront that I don't know that, or, you know, do some research. So people have different preferences of how they want to be approached like that. But a lot of times the high quick starts are like, if I wrote an SOP, just look at it. Don't talk to me, you know, like, or whatever. So it's to kind of figure out the match there. And of course you have to, people can be trained too. Um, But I, I do kind of like to get a sense of like what people's inclination is going to be and like what my client's preference is on so like how hire, they envision that you have them take the assessment before not necessarily because it's a 55 dollar assessment but i can kind of right. tell i can tell and people okay. are high fact finders or like high quick starts or whatever um but the great thing about high fact finders is while they might drive quick starts crazy with all their questions they're the ones who are detail oriented. They're the right. ones who can write flawless project plans because they think through everything, which when you and I are left, if we have to fact find first, we find it exhausting just because it's not like our modus operandi. Right. Um, but it's it's great to work with those folks too. And a lot of times I, I see teams that have like opposite Colby's, but it works when you like have awareness around it and a conversation around it. And like, Hey, you can fact find on me during our calls. Otherwise look at the SOPs. Don't bother me, you know, like, or, or like ask my ops manager, ask my integrator, whatever you can come up with like strategies, but like none, neither is good or bad, but quite honestly, like my Colby does not, and probably my ADD does not enable me to be like super great at the details I need a detail-oriented person. I need someone who can poke holes and ask questions. Um, but when I ask that question, me personally, I probably want to hear, I'm going to at least look in the Google Drive and see if I can find an SOP first. That's my preference. And then bring it to me at our weekly meeting or something, you know? So you've got to find somebody that is almost filling in the gaps for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. But, and also like, can they fact find in a way that works for me and not just be like, I'm going to ask you a thousand questions. I at least want them to be a little resourceful, you know, but like everyone's different. Um, and you can tell people too, don't ask me first, look in the SOPs, then you can ask me. And you can always come up to um, culturally in your company to be like, here's what we do. If you don't know the answer, um, find three solutions and create, and then like, give me your recommendation. <laughs> then we'll go from there. So I love asking that question to just kind of see how people handle it when they don't know what to do. Um, but then there's always culture things and norms that you can, that you can create. Um, I remember in my classroom, I'd be like, ask three before me kids. Yeah. I don't know if that's best practice anymore, but that's essentially there is. <laughs> what I recommend uh, people to do. 
Oh my gosh. This whole time I've been trying to look up my number. I'm going to totally get it to you. I know. I need to know your number. I need to know it. Um, I'm retrieving my password, but. Okay. Okay. Good. (laughs) Well, while you're doing that, um, I'll tell you another question I like to ask on interviews. Um, So usually like the first question I ask is when you're coming onto a new team, like as a virtual assistant, as a whatever, what do you need to set you up for success? So like, in other words, what do you need from us to set you up for success? And then people explain to you how they like to be onboarded. And that can be like very eye-opening in their responses. I like that because there's no, when people ask the question, do you have any questions? I feel like that it's very easy to say, no, I don't, but that kind of gets at the same thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then what I do too is Oh my gosh, I'm kind of like robotic in my interviews. I'll I'll I do interviews for my clients. They're on too, but I'm like, "Hi, I'm Megan. Here's Susie." But before I let Susie speak, I'm going to tell you how this interview is going to run. Susie will tell you about her company. I'm going to ask some questions, then I have time at the end for you. And then I can tell too based on people's questions how much of a fact finder they are. And typically for the roles that I hire for, I want them to be super fact findery and think of questions I hadn't even thought of. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, and and again with that honesty and that open communication, I yeah. I want people to know what they're signing up for. Especially if I have a client who's like a ten quick start and like a two systems, meaning they like to break systems and they're coming up with new ideas all the time. Like I need I want people to know what they're signing up for too. You know, because it it's a I need both parties to want to enter that relationship. Right. You've got to have, you've got to have a nice match to have a balance of everything. Exactly. All right. I found my number. Okay. What is it? Okay. So I'm seven fact finder. Okay. Five follow through. Great. Seven quick start. Okay. Two implementer. I'm a two (laughs) implementer too. I don't know much about that number. I guess that means we don't need like physical models to like envision things. We can, yeah. like, I don't know. Um, that was weird. Those questions were weird. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm not like Colby certified, but so even though your fact finder and your quick start are the same number, I think um, the fact finder is the one that takes precedence. So you might still do a little research, but you're still like going pretty high on the ideas. So so interesting because my Enneagram type is a five and that is like the researcher. Yep. But I am a quick, I I will research, but I will do it. Yeah. Yeah. So like your order of operations is you will do a little bit of research, then you'll take action. And then your five, um, then you'll like organize things. Yeah. So um, some people Uh like to organize things first. Like, let me break it into an Asana thing. Like I, my order of operations is I take action then I organize, then I research. So like I've been doing done for you hiring for people. I've just been doing it. And then I'll like write my process in a Google doc. Then I'll organize it. Then I'll like do some research, talk to my coach and my friends and like figure out how I can tweak things. But people's order of operations is just different. Very interesting. Well, I'll link to that too. I know it costs some money, but um, if you're going to be interviewing for any type of a position online, I think it is helpful to have those results, right? Yeah. Know thyself. And it's just kind of, it's validating too, because being labeled as like, you have ADD. Okay. Granted, I didn't get diagnosed until like college, but even being my stepdad would be like, Meg, you're 
no. So normally it's ready, aim, fire. He's like, you're ready, fire, aim. Like, <laughs> just like throwing spaghetti on the wall. That is the way I take action. But it's just nice to be like validated. Like, oh, yeah. that's just how I am. And then my husband took a Colby. He's like the opposite of me. He's an eight, eight, one, two. So I'm an eight quick start. He's a one quick start. But it's good for us to have this knowledge and just like in a team too, so that um, I know that my quick start exhausts him. So I need to take him along the ride and like let him do some research when I have an idea. And then if I'm being too much, not too much, but if I'm like quick starting so much, he can be like, slow down, quick start. And we can have a good laugh about it. And I know too, that when I let him in on my ideas, the outcome's usually better. Like I was like, let's go to, let's go get some ice cream a mile away. And he's like, or we can drive to new Buffalo, Michigan, which is an hour and a half away, but would be just as fun as a pandemic activity. So when I just gave him an extra minute to do some research, his solution was way better than mine. Um, oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should do that instead of like, just do my idea, okay? Right, right, right. And sometimes I just want to be like, oh, I just want to do this. But it's like, slow down, quick start. Like, right. let's sit on it for a minute. And it usually is good for me to quick start on some things, but not everything. But yeah, I feel like any conversation I have about hiring, I always go on a tangent about the Colby. Oh my so. gosh. I love, I just love the direction this has taken on. Tonight. I know. I'm sorry. I had your, I had, I was so prepared to answer all of your questions and I'm like, <laughs> this might take a turn. So. No, I love that it turned. I do feel like I promised though, that we would touch on the other side, which is like, let's say that you want to add a level of service to your business that you want to maybe get into some freelancing or some contract work. Do you have any advice for people who are looking for a position or like trying to figure out their talent area? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I would say like, there is a lot of opportunity in this space and like definitely going, okay, I'm going to, I don't know if you've ever had to read like Carol Dweck's growth mindset versus yep. fixed mindset. That's for a thing. Yep. Uh-huh. I was so annoyed when I had to read that because I was at a school that was very close mindset. And I'm like, Ugh, I want to, I was so mad. But anyway, um, it, I think it's, a, for, for me personally, given my like quick start, I like to do things by like experimenting and then seeing if it sticks. Um, that might not, it, it might feel better for you to like do some research and then try something. Um, but there's like so much opportunity in this space And I think it's really important to go in with like a growth mindset and like be open to the quote unquote failure as you like navigate the market and as you navigate like what you like, not to mention this market is, it changes so quickly. So like, it's okay if you like didn't come up with like the perfect service or like you have a contract that like you don't love or whatever, like things change so quickly. Um, I just think it's awesome to go in with kind of an open mind and like, honest with yourself. If you hate doing something, maybe you don't do that anymore, but like finish out your contract as best as you can. Um, but yeah, there's like so much room for innovation. And if you feel like what you have to offer isn't landing with people, but like you believe in it, keep going and like, keep going. If you know that like, it's right. Like for example, for me offering hiring, um, some people were like, wait, I wanted you to be my VA and now you want me to pay you $1,500 to just find another VA. I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. People didn't understand what I did for a long time, but um, I kind of stuck with it. um, And now it makes sense. And people are like, oh, I get it. 
Yeah, find your zone of genius and stick with it because somebody mm-hmm. is going to need that zone of genius to make up for what they're lacking or what they right. need or what they're right. overwhelmed with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, if in the meantime, people aren't buying what you're selling and you need to make money, then, you know, do something that you're decent at, right? Until yeah. until something else happens. But I have been all over the place. I was a VA and then I'm like, I love content writing, but I was just okay at it. And then I'm like, I'll be account project manager. But um, I was having to operate as a really high fact finder and a low quick start. So it really exhausted me and it just wasn't aligned. So, but I tried a lot of things. If you hadn't tried those things, you wouldn't have landed on this. So, right. So I had to be trying. Right. So I had to be open to like the failure and like trust and believe some of these, some of some of my months this year, like revenue wise have not been my best, but I'm now I'm finally hitting my stride. I'm like, okay, I kept at it. I didn't give up even if I felt like it, but, and then sometimes you take on work that might not be like your dream work, but at least you're learning from it. Right. And like, I feel like as educators, we're always learning stuff. And I feel like we are so adaptable because we have to be, um, with like very few resources in the classroom and like really high expectations. Um, and you know, when things don't work in the classroom, a lesson isn't landing or someone pops in and observes you when you didn't expect them to, you're used to doing stuff on the fly and adapting. And like, that's what makes a great entrepreneur too. Exactly. And I think that's why there, that's why I have a podcast called teacher hustle podcast. Cause there are so many who have this drive to do more and to impact more and, and they're doing it, which is amazing. So uh, thank you so much. This was the best conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for another two hours. I know, Alyssa, we're just going to have to be friends in, in life now. So I love I, that. And I feel like this was my like personal session. So I feel bad. Sorry for everybody. <laughs> this turned into my coaching call, but I loved it. It was amazing. Yeah. I And I just really appreciate the opportunity. And like, it, it just feels really nice to be amongst teachers. So thank yeah. you so much for this. Can you tell them where they can connect with you if they want to connect yeah, after this? Yeah, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. I am Meg K. Co. Um, you can also find me on the internet at MegKCo.com. Awesome. All right. So thank you very much. And I'm sure we will talk soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks. I went to Dunkin' Donuts today and they already took down the pumpkin spice latte board to replace it with all things peppermint mocha. I was thrilled, of course, because the holiday drinks are my absolute favorite, but it feels really early. If you've been paying attention to marketing lately, you've noticed that the holidays are making an early appearance this year. Maybe it's because people need a distraction or maybe they're bored. Maybe we all need a little bit of that holiday magic this year. But whatever it is, the holidays are already upon us. Other than putting the pressure on you to start thinking about your holiday shopping, Why in the world am I bringing all of this up? Well, I am talking about peppermint mocha today because I want to remind you that the pre-holiday season is really the perfect time to plan a purposeful cash injection into your business. We know from a psychological standpoint that people are more at the ready to buy during Black Friday week. We've probably set aside some money to spend that week on gifts for our family, But also we're probably spending on things for ourselves, things that will make our lives easier or more fun or more convenient. And that's what makes Black Friday week the perfect week to host an exciting week of promotions. But you are not just going to put your TPT or your Etsy store on sale. You're not just going to discount your course and call it a day. 
You're going to use what I've just told you to give your business or your shopping budget, whatever you choose, a big old boost. Because remember that sales don't just happen to us. They aren't luck. They come through effort and learning about how to showcase our products and meet the needs of our audience. Last year during Black Friday week, I had a week of offers planned out for all of you. Some were brand new, others were oldies but goodies. And at the end of the week, I made just under $2,000 that I was able to turn around and use for the holidays. So whatever your goals, I know that some of you who are listening really would love to make that cash injection or get that little boost before the holidays. Maybe it's because you have great sales months during back to school season, but the holiday sales tend to dip. That tends to be your low time and you really could use a boost. Or maybe you haven't seen a real return on your efforts yet. You've been putting in all of this time to your online business, but you're not seeing the payoff. I really want to help you get the boost you need to see what's possible for yourself and this business in the online space. So I put together a blueprint for throwing a promotion during Black Friday week that I think will have, in fact, I know it will have your audience hyped up and waiting on the edge of their seats, just like a lightning deal on their favorite Dyson vacuum on Amazon. It's going to be just as exciting or at least you know, kind of exciting. I have a day-by-day plan for you that's going to help you think outside the box so that your Black Friday week is super profitable and not like all the other Black Friday sales that are out there. Now, I know Black Friday week is coming up fast. I honestly just thought of this the other day while I was in the shower. And so I really put it together fast because I wanted to get it out to you. I packaged everything into a done-for-you pack with a little help from my friends. So I have to give a huge shout out to Kelly Harville from Speaking of Images and Katie Saj from Mochas and Mark Books. Thanks to them, I, I got in their DMs on Instagram and I said, I have this idea to help teachers with their Black Friday promotions. Can you, you know, get something together for me so that we can put this together? So thanks to their work, uh, their really hard work, we are offering you a Black Friday teacher seller toolkit. And it has literally everything you need to get the most out of that promotional week. So the toolkit includes my contribution, which is a Black Friday blueprint. This is an exclusive day-by-day guide that will help you plan out your promotions and think through some exciting out-of-the-box offers that people will not be expecting. This is not just like put your store on sale for 20% off. These are outside-the-box ideas. I've also put together a Black Friday sales tracker to help you keep track of your plans and your sales for the week. And I have a Black Friday debrief sheet for you because it's really important to keep track of how your offers did, which were most popular. This week isn't just about getting the extra cash. It's also about studying the data, testing new product ideas, and connecting with your audience. I've also got for you some email templates that are ready to go. You can just pop your own information and send those out, plug and play, and some plug and play social media prompts to help you through this week of talking about your products because I know you guys don't like to seem salesy and I want to make it really easy for you. And then Kelly has put together 11 beautiful mock-up images for you. So all you need to do is put in some shots, some screenshots of your products. If you have digital products or if you have physical products, you can still use these. You can use these images to showcase your products during Black Friday week. And Katie has put together some editable graphic templates for your Instagram feed and stories, which can also be used as pins, by the way. She's got two styles for you for each day of the week, plus a deal of the day style.
profile. So all of that is inside the toolkit. And then plus as a bonus, I've added a coaching video to help you understand kind of the theory behind this method for the week of Black Friday and a Black Friday planner to help you stay on track with what you need to do each day of the week. So with this toolkit, all you have to do is print out your tracker pages in your planner, read through the step-by-step blueprint, and plug your product images into the mock-ups and templates, and you'll be ready for a week's worth of offers that will have your audience refreshing their inbox over and over to see what's next. Last year, I made, like I said, almost $2,000 during that week using this exact method, and this year, I wanted to share that method with all of you so that you could try it too. So you can go grab the Black Friday Teacher Sellers Toolkit now at alyssamcdonald.com slash Black Friday. It is just $27 until the Sunday before Black Friday week, and you're going to have every single thing you need for that $27. But the most exciting part is that I really, really just ultimately, there is no catch here. I'm just really excited about helping you see the potential in this business and get some extra money for the holidays. I really just, I want you to tell me how successful you are are and how great this week went for you. So I am offering the toolkit to you actually absolutely free. If you decide to join us inside Teacher Hustle University this month, you will get this toolkit for free. You're going to get the entire toolkit, everything I just mentioned, the blueprint, tracker pages, the debrief, the image mockups, the social media templates, emails, the prompts, the bonus video, and the planner. Plus, you will have access to our latest workshop inside Teacher Hustle University, which was our show up and glow up session. And that session walks you through your Black Friday plan step by step and helps you map out your week and gives you some time to work on it. Not to mention Teacher Hustle University is an amazing membership for teachers who are leveling up their businesses as a team and making an impact in the world of education thanks to the methods they're learning about marketing their online business. So that's just a huge bonus. You're part of the crew. We would love to have you inside the Teacher Hustle University crew and to hear all about how your Black Friday promotion is going. We're going to be checking in all week long to strategize and make sure you're hitting and exceeding your goal for the week. So no tricks, no gimmicks. I just really want to work with you as your business coach inside the crew. I really want you to have access to this and want you to have success so that you can see what's possible for you and your business. I want to help you get a little boost in sales and have the financial freedom you're looking for. You're here listening and you're putting in all the work. So I know that you are ready to see the payoff and to see the potential that you have to make impact and income. So I wanted to make the toolkit as accessible as possible. Again, it's at alissamcdonald.com slash Black Friday. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Hustle podcast. I love hearing from you. So if you loved this episode, please consider leaving a review. You can also join our Facebook group, Teacher Hustle Podcast, to chat about all things business, mindset, and marketing. I also love to chat in the Instagram DMs, so send me a DM or tag me in your post. My name is Teacher by Naptime over there. I'll see you in the next episode.